If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. If you turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter number 19. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. You can actually follow along with us. Uh, this morning, I believe it's needed for me to speak on this particular subject, and I just got done talking to somebody this last week about how we should not be chasing uh, contemporary issues uh, as much. Uh, we need to be preaching the Word of God, and so that sounds really good until I came to where God wanted me to speak on a certain subject this morning and uh, direct you toward the subject of depression. And uh, I hope you understand that this message is for all of you. I don't just have one person in mind. Uh, I have all of you in mind because we are dealing in a culture that needs to hear this particular message. If you look at verse number 1 of 1 Kings 19, we see the condition of uh, Elijah, and uh, he is in big trouble, and he knows it. Uh, The king, of course, is Ahab. Verse number 1, Ahab told Jezebel's wife all that Elijah had done. What did he do? He slayed all the prophets with the sword. And so took all of the false prophets that uh, were of that particular day, and he slew them all, took them down to the river, took them down to the river and slew them. Wouldn't it be something if all the false prophets were be dealt with today? Uh, my goodness, what an incredible task that would be uh, for somebody to differentiate the way between the false prophet and, and the prophet of our God. The Bible gives us ways that we can indicate a false prophet, but I want to talk to you mainly on the heaviness, if you would, of what Elijah is going through. Um, I think God knew that. Uh, In fact, I know he did, and he knew Elijah's difficulty. I like what it says in verse number 7, because the journey is too great for thee. Uh, what, an, what a concept and what a thought that God is saying to him, you know, you can't do this alone. The, the, the journey is too great for thee. And so uh, in, in my introduction, I would actually come up with the idea, what do you do when you have had enough? I think he came to that place here in verse number four. If we look at it again, it says, be himself when a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the juniper tree and he requested for himself he might die. It is enough, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. There's nothing unique about me. He understood that. But Elijah had the power of God with him, and he knew that. But there was this understanding, because of it all, that he had just had enough. Let me just share with you, child of God, that God has given you, as his child, the resources that you need to face discouragement and defeat without depression. And let me just give you, if you have a pen, you want to write it down, there is a digression or an, there is uh, how you actually travel, if you would, going from discouragement to defeat to despair. So discouragement, defeat to despair. Then there comes doubt. Then there comes depression. And then there comes delusion. And then there comes death. If we would actually understand a little bit more of what God wants us to know, that as a born-again Christian, we are victors, we are winners in Christ, and we understand this in our life, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what you're dealing with this morning, whether it's going to be a physical uh, wearing out and you feel it in you, whether it's an emotional 
difficulty that you're going through, whether it's a spiritual oppression, whatever is happening to you, I'm telling you that there is hope. And Satan attacks the Christian by using discouragement, which is a false sense of personal failure. He uses defeat, which is a false sense of permanent loss. And he uses doubt. That is a false sense of God's ability to to bring you out of it. Uh, if, If you're sitting here thinking that God's not able to help you, then you have a small view of God. God can help you, dear friend, no matter what difficult you're going through. I come to the subject of depression. The National Institute of Mental Health reported that in 1990, the cost used to help people in 1990 with depression from the government was 30 to 44 billion dollars, not million, billion dollars in 1990. And can I share with you that in 2020, 280 billion dollars was used in one year to help people with mental illness and depression, about a quarter of which came out of the Medicaid program. In addition to direct costs, there was the estimation of 2 million workdays were lost because people were too depressed to go to work. Depression to the place where they're going to run from responsibility. And that's what happens when we get discouraged and depressed and don't want to do anything. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But depression is second only to bullying in 2023. I looked it up before I came to the pulpit again. Depression is second only to bullying and causing the loss of work in America. Uh, Pretty interesting that we would become so sensitive to other people's criticism or offenses that we wouldn't even go to work because of it. Uh, I'm I'm not trying to be mean at all, but don't be a softy. If you're being offended, then deal with it because everybody gets offended. If we were to stay, if we were to have one day out of the year where we had like offensive day or offended day and we were to celebrate it, everybody would stay home, amen? That's the truth. Depression is second only to bullying as a cause of loss for work in America. Studies of Harvard showed that in 1990, depression was the fourth leading cause of disease. But in 2020 now, just a few years ago, it is now the single cause of disease. Depression is leading to alcoholism. It causes people to self-medicate, drug abuse, other addictions. Untreated depression is a number one cause of suicide in our country today. And I don't want to labor on that point, but I do want to mention it, that it is part of that understanding that it can go from discouragement, defeat, despair, doubt, depression, delusion, to death, where somebody can, like we see here in Elijah's life, one of the great men of God, one of the prophets, if you would, one of the men that we put in place and say, wow, what was it like in Elijah's day? Well, it was depressing sometimes. And he felt it physically. And these figures and state. Stats indicate that there's one thing wrong with mankind that we could all agree on is that we can get so full of sorrow and so full of discouragement that we can fall into despair if we're not careful. Winston Churchill was one of the greatest leaders of this country, of this, of, of, of his century, this century. And he said this, he said, Winston Churchill said, depression followed me around like a black dog my whole life. Pretty interesting. It may be here this morning that you are being followed around by depression. 
And so instead of handling depression, depression is handling you. And, and I, I want to help you. Many years ago, there was a young Midwestern lawyer suffered with deep depression that his friends thought it'd be wise if they would go into his house and remove all razor blades and all knives completely from his home. During this particular time that he wrote in his journal, journal I, I am now the most miserable man living Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode that I shall not get well. Those words were written by Abraham Lincoln before he became the president of the United States. Maybe many of you are in the same place this morning. It may be with you that you're in such a place now. So let's examine a little bit about depression if we can. Depression is an equal opportunity problem. It affects all ages, all races, all economic groups, both genders. Depression is a common problem in our culture today, whether we like to admit it or not. So depression is a common in our society, and without question, it's not unusual for people to experience depression. If you have experienced depression or are experiencing depression, you are not alone. And there are other people that actually have difficulties with this. And let me just share with you, if you think that you're all alone, Don't be so foolish. Because there are other people that have the same problems, the same difficulties. It just goes back to how am I responding to the problem I have. And you have somehow habitually entered into that hole every single time your brain goes right into it every time. And then you try to get your way out of it by doing something. And Satan can actually try to trick you to think that you're the only one. And you're not. There are people that are in this room that deal with depression on a daily basis, and you don't even know it because they smile good, but they're walking with God. And they know that God can give them the strength to get through it. Depression affects approximately 21 million Americans each year. More than one in five Americans can expect to get some form of depression in their lifetime. The rate of of, of clinical depression for a woman is about double that of men, whether you want to accept that or not. It's true. The highest overall age of depression is between 25 and 44, with an increasing rate of those that were born after 1945. People studied and come out with the idea that married people have the close, intimate relationships with their spouse, have a lower rate of depression than those that are living And it also goes on to say unhappily married people have the highest rate and happily married men have the lowest rate for depression. Pretty interesting. I don't think it was intended for a man to be alone. Uh, God made them a helpmeet. If you think you can make it on your own, Mr. Tough Guy, try it once. You're going to struggle. I am so thankful for a good, godly, golden wife. I'm so thankful for that. Research tells us that one out of every single people in this auditorium will need professional help for depression sometime during the lifetime. And all this tells me that there is a difficult thing in our culture today. It's increasing. It's called discouragement, which has led now to depression. So we read for a moment this morning, and we did at a glance, the 19th chapter of the book of 1 Kings, and we hear uh, about Elijah... But we hear him praying, it is enough for me. 
So the text says in verse number four, oh Lord, take away my life for I'm not better than my father's. He's basically requesting, if you would, extraordinary Elijah was so depressed, he asked God to take him or to let him die. He was so depressed, he didn't want to live anymore and Elijah experienced depression. Well, he's not the only one. I think if we were to turn, we don't have time this morning to turn to the, our Bibles, and maybe some of you want, want to, to Numbers chapter 11. We read another story that there was another great man of God. His name was Moses. Moses had a lot on his plate. In verse number 15 of Numbers 11, he, he, he says these words, And if thou deal with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of the hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Moses in Numbers chapter 11, I would say, mighty Moses, experienced what we would call depression to the place where he asked God to kill him. We don't want to talk about these things a lot of times, and maybe we would skim over them, but I thought it was important for me to tell you that you can, you can still abound when you are discouraged. You can still move forward when you get discouraged because God will give you the strength. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That message was from the Apostle Paul. But he was saying that you are to be abounding in the work of the Lord. And so it shows that there is something to do. But the extraordinary Elijah was depressed that he prayed that God would let him die. And then mighty Moses here was so depressed that he prayed that God would kill him. I think also of Jonah. You know, and each one of these men that are chosen were different in their callings, different in their times, but it was part of the Bible. And we have to look back and say, if these great men worked through their discouraging times, couldn't I work through mine? I think also of, of this Jonah. He was God's man that preached a revival and that changed the whole city overnight. And yet we hear him say, after it's all done, in Jonah chapter 4, verse number 3, he says this, Therefore now, O Lord, take I beseech thee my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so we're dealing with three different men that actually dealt with this difficulty of discouragement that led to despair, that led to depression, that led them to the place of saying, I would rather choose death than to live. But Jonah begged God to take his life. So these were God's men. One was a patriarch, one was a prophet, and the other was a preacher. But they all experienced deep depression. I think it's interesting because if we were to look into the life of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a little more contemporary for us, he pastored one of the largest churches in England. We know of this, and we read from him, and the writings of Spurgeon were incredible, and his difficulties were great, and many of the things that he went through were health issues, and I don't know if anybody's ever dealt with gout, but he dealt with that on a daily basis. Didn't live a long life. He lived a, a shorter life than the average individual that was preaching and teaching God's word. But he wrote this on one occasion. Listen to me. He wrote this. I, of all men, and perhaps the subject of the deepest depression at times, I am the subject of depression of fearful 
that I hope none of you ever have to get in such extremes of wretchedness that I have to go at times. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you're not unusual if you experience depression. What's unusual is the way you're responding to it. Because I think the child of God has a way to be able to function even when they go through times of sorrow. And I, I think it was mentioned right away because of the sin problem that there is going to be people that will have sorrow and great times of sorrow because we are breathing, because life brings sorrow to us at times. And the presence of depression, depression sometimes gets to the place where it is controlling. And so the problem of depression that is common but also the presence of depression that is controlling. Because depression can control you, and Satan knows that. He's trying to depress you. Since there's, there are so many that experience depression, we should ask, why are they depressed? Why are so many controlled and dominated by this thing called depression? I heard a story of a man who went to a clinic, see a doctor about this, and He walked into his room and sat down, saw a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. A psychologist doesn't have the permission or the rights to write prescription drugs, but a psychiatrist does. He said, Doc, I'm depressed. And the doctor said, how depressed are you? He answered, I'm terribly depressed. I am so depressed that I just can't function. I'm so depressed that I I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. Can you help me? What do you recommend? The doctor said, well, normally when somebody comes in to me and talks to me about their depression, I tell them to take a long vacation. And he says, well, I just got back from the Bahamas. I was there for a month. He said, oh, well, my second recommendation usually is to go buy a brand new car. I just bought a new Mercedes. It's not the new car. He said, well, then I would probably recommend that you actually would buy a new house. He said, I just bought a million-dollar mansion. The doctor said, let me, let me get straight. You, 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 you just got back from the Bahamas. You drive a Mercedes. You live in a million-dollar mansion. What's depressing you? He said, I only, I only make $500 a week. <laughs> I think that might be the problem with our culture today because you don't make enough for what you want. And that could cause depression. It would cause you to actually trick people into thinking that you can get money from them or try some scheme, and you've been going from scheme to scheme to get more money out of people so you could have what you want. And then there's times when you're all alone and you're so discouraged and so depressed that you don't even want to get out of bed because you run from your responsibilities because it's not really wholesome. It's not what God wants you to do. I hope I'm making sense this morning. There's a man that wrote a book. His name was Nelson Price, and in there he qualified... He classified, if you would, four types of depression. The first one was endogenous depression. He he wrote in his book, it's caused by chemical imbalance within the central nervous system and often associates with some observable extreme cause, or external cause, if you would. And it occurs without the presence of stress or trauma. It's just something going on within his or hers central nervous system endogenous depression. He went on to talk about the second one, which is reactive depression, and that's a creation to such things as a, or a reaction, if you would, of of such things as death, uh, a a loved one, uh, severe personal setbacks, 
perhaps a divorce of a spouse, a breakup with a sweetheart, loss of job, and so on. That would be reactive depression. Then there's toxic depression. It's caused by outside substance such as uh, a viral illness, maybe. Uh, Maybe it's because of drugs, self-medicating, I don't know. A faulty diet. Maybe their person's not eating and sleeping properly and then they just get thinner and thinner and pretty soon they're all mixed up in the brain because the body doesn't have enough nourishment or rest. And there's psychotic depression. It's linked to the nervous, like a nervous breakdown, if you would. Over-exhaustion, mental disorder, brain disease, all of these are the causes. I'm just telling you that there are different types of depression. Mayo Clinic listed nine symptoms to someone who is depressed. Um, first of all, is there's a hindrance in their mood. Their loss of interest or pleasures in daily activities. Their loss of appetite or an unintentional weight change. Problems of a little or too much sleep. Feelings of restlessness and sluggishness. Fatigue or loss of energy, feelings of guilt or unworthiness, inability to think clearly or concentrate complete on a complete task or to complete a task or make decisions. They also went on to say that they had thoughts of suicide and even death. And so they all stated that a person with clinical depression has at least five of those nine things going on within their life. I think of the presence of depression and how it controls us. I think of these three Bible illustrations, and I want to tie in all this together. If you listen, bear with me. A few moments ago, I talked about Elijah and Moses and Jonah, and each of them deeply depressed, each so depressed that they wanted to die. And why were they depressed? Um, I want us to know three particular reasons from each of them. First of all, with Elijah, he was physically worn out. Now, when we look at Elijah in 1 Kings 19, you see a man that is physically worn out and his great victory on Mount Carmel, Jezebel puts his picture on the wanted poster in the post office and he is wanted dead or alive. And so we see that in the first few verses, in verse number 2, if you would, of, of 1 Kings 19. Then Jezebel sent the messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, talking about the prophets, by tomorrow about this time. And so verse number 3, we understand, says Elijah, Basically, or says that that she went after Elijah, went after his life. This simply means that he ran for his life, but she was running after him. And Jezebel wanted to see him dead. Someone described our life in which we live in sometimes exhaustive. And we are like that at times where we just want to find a juniper tree and get underneath it and just rest a little while. Because we are so perplexed of our schedules and our 
running around and home seems to be such a great solitude and such a great place to be. But we, he was in, of course, a state and weak uh, or a weakened state and his strength was gone. He was leaving physically exhausted. And sometimes we get that. We live kind of a hurry, worry, berry life. We live in a brain overload life physically. We stay up late. We get up early. We have cell phones in our hands. We monitor what's going on even by a video in our bedrooms or perhaps even our front rooms as we look on to our children. We eat fast. We go from that to the next thing, the next task. We never take a nap. We have more month than money. And it's no wonder that our generation is dominated by depression because we have time for everything but God. And we have not even tithed, much less tithed our time or our talent, given it to God. I think about how that we see that Moses was emotionally run out. We see that Elijah was physically run out. But Moses was emotionally run out. If we were to look back at Numbers 11, it says in verse number, uh, one of the, in, in, in chapter 11, it says, and when the people complain, it says that right in the first verse, that Moses was a leader and an administrator like none other, with two million people to take care of. They were two million chronic belly acres, if you would. They complained about the food, the water, the weather. They complained, they complained about the leadership of Moses and just about everything. It says in verse number two that they cried unto Moses, and they cried, cried, and cried, and cried. But I think what's interesting, in verses four through six, it says, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, And the children of Israel always wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Remember the fish, and we did eat in Egypt freely, and the cucumbers and the melon and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our soul is dried up, and there's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. So in spite of being delivered, if you would, from the Egyptian bondage, many of them desired to go back just so they could feed their belly. Back to manna. I think it's important for us to remember that we too could not be satisfied if we let ourselves. I think about how that they had manna. I mentioned it. They had manna. They had manna to scramble, if you would, in the morning maybe, uh, boiled in the afternoon, fried at night, but it was always manna. The children of Israel had what they needed didn't take Moses long to realize that he didn't have enough strength to do what he was wanted to do. He says in verse number 14, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. It was emotionally difficult and he was emotionally wrung out. It was emotional overload, overworked, overwhelmed. He was a prime candidate for depression. And so are you, if you're not careful. So when a person is always going and going and doing and doing and giving and giving and running and running, especially you moms, maybe that's why the women are more susceptible to depression than men. So when this happens, someone says, all work and no play will make Jack and Jill a dull boy and girl. Yeah, Worse than that, it can make Jack and Jill depressed if they're not careful. But then we see Jonah. 
because he was spiritually wiped out. There was Elijah, who was physically drained and wiped out. We see Moses, who was emotionally distraught and wiped out. But we see Joseph was, Jonah here was, to, was spiritually wiped out. We look at Jonah in Jonah chapter 4, and I mentioned it earlier. I just want to read the verses to you. We see that God had saved the city of Nineveh. What else would he want? But Jonah felt that Nineveh deserved judgment. In his mind, it was against what he thought was right. But see, God was right, and Jonah was wrong. And there are going to be things that come into your life that are going to say, why is this happening? Let God be right and leave it alone. and Let God be God. I think about how he says in verse number 1 of Jonah chapter 4, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. He says, therefore now, O Lord, I pray, I beseech thee my life from me. Take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. He was spiritually depleted. Jonah was troubled. He was accepting, of course, what God had done. And he had trouble accepting the outcome in the end. And there are times when God doesn't work the way we think he needs to work. We we, we get confused and sometimes we are left spiritually discouraged, defeated, and depleted. If you've got all of these in your mind, you can remember what it was saying earlier on. We were talking about it that in this particular case, when someone gets depressed and some of the symptoms are from the Mayo Clinic, it was saying that fatigue or loss of energy. So put a check beside Elijah's name. Problems too little or too much sleep. The problem was too much or too little. Well, then put a check next to Moses' name because he was up all night worrying and taking care of all of the people. The inability to think clearly and concentrate, to complete a task or to make a decision. Put a check near Jonah's box, if you would. Thoughts of death and suicide. Put a check by all three of these great men of God that came to the place of being depressed. So the problem of depression that is common and the presence of depression that is controlling and the power of depression that is conquerable. And so the power of it is that I believe in the authority of the word of God. It is infallible and is inerrant. I I believe that this is the inspired word of God. Whether you believe that or not, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is when I'm sitting in my chair at home going through a difficult time and I open up the scriptures, I look at it as the inspired word of God. And if he says it, I believe it. Maybe there's a little bit of a lack of that today. Elijah was physically refreshed. If we remember, there was a cake that was put out for him in the 19th chapter. He looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. He did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel came, the, Lord, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he rose, and he did eat and drink and went on the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights unto Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. You see, 
physically he was fed and he was taken care of. He even got a little bit of a nap in between. Wives, be careful with your husbands. Make sure they're eating right. Make sure they're sleeping right. Uh, Husbands, be sensitive with your wife enough to say, slow down a little bit. You're going too fast. You need to be careful. I I don't want to see anybody get full of despair and discouragement and depressed. It's not a good thing, not a healthy thing for the family. I think about uh, the physical uh, the God is God, the great physician, knows better than anyone how to take care of us, and God knows how to help us and how to eat right. I just got a call yesterday from a man in our church. He was a teenager here when I first came in as a pastor. He's 40 now. When he told me that, I hung up on the phone. I didn't want to talk to him. 40? No, I didn't hang up on him. He told me he just occurred to him last week that now he's 40, you know, he needs to start eating right, start sleeping right. And he told me and confessed that it wasn't good, and now it's better. I thought, wonderful. He's going to take care of himself. I think it's important for us to remember what God says in Exodus 20, verses 9 and 10. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy works, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, And in it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy sons, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within the gates. Suggestion from God to take one day a week off and just rest? No. It is imperative that we do. I think it's a couple things in here in that particular passage. I believe the first thing is that we ought to be working. (laughs) If you're not working, it might be the problem with the depression. you got too much time on your hands. Amen? You know, I've always tried to tell the truth up here, and this particular subject really caught my eye. For our culture today, and for our feelings today, we need to understand how God can help us through our difficulty. How can we be emotionally renewed? We can be physically renewed with a meal. You've heard this, women, that the way to go to man's stomach is through his heart, right? Or or to his heart is through his stomach. Got that backwards. You You know, you've heard that before. Well, it is true. Feed him good. Feed him good. It's a biblical principle. Vance Hadner said, if we, we had better come apart or we'll never. It, we had better come apart or we will come apart. That's so true. I think really um, Moses was emotionally renewed. It says in verse 16 of Numbers 11, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy of the elders of Israel, and whom thou knewest to be the elders of the people and the officers of them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, and that they stand before thee. And so he did, seventy of to help administrate. In verse number 17 of Numbers 11, it says, And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of thy spirit, which is upon thee, and I will put it in them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not only thyself alone. I think of how Jonah was spiritually revived, just as the other two were physically and emotionally revived. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 4, verse number 11, And should I not spare Nineveh, the great city wherein there are more than six Score thousand persons that cannot discern between the right hand and the left, and also much cattle. God told Jonah 
that he needed to forget what he wanted and how he felt about the whole situation. And once again, remember that God has the right to whatever he desires. And maybe that is something that you need to talk to God about, is just look toward heaven and say, God, whatever has happened to me through these years, you have allowed it. A man may plan his way, but God orders his steps. And every place that you've been and what you've done, God has allowed. And for you to be able to look back toward heaven and say, it is part of your will. He would look down and say, I've, I've used it for molding and making you into the person you are today. And you are actually listening to me now. And if all of these things were yuck, yuck, then so be it. Because now they're going to be good. I think there's a thing called grace that we need to remember, even after salvation, that God, by his grace, has sustained us through all the difficulties that we've been through. Depression is a problem, but it is a common problem, dear friend. Don't think you're the only one. And so what am I to do? There's two things I want you to remember. The first one is in Psalm 55, verse number 22. It says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain thee. He will not suffer the righteous to be moved. That's the first thing. If you haven't taken your burden and given it to God, you will not be able to handle it yourself. And it just may be that it's the sin problem still. It may be that you've never confessed your sins to him. Maybe you've never come to him and been saved. You've been religious but never given it to God completely. I didn't have anybody telling me this when I was your age. I didn't have anybody telling me these words. Come to him. Lay your burden down. He will pick it up. And he will sustain you. He will not suffer the righteous to be moved. Give your burden to him. He wants it this morning. But he's looking for you to make that move. The second thing I want you to think about is to be still and know that he is God. I don't know who it is. They sing a song called Stand Still. I think it might be the... Oh, I can't think of the name. But sometimes I'll play that song four times in a row. Just stand still. When God says in his word in the Psalms where he says, be still and know that I am God, there is so much in it. Someone make a t-shirt that just says, stand still and know that he is God. And wear it everywhere you go. Did you know your God is bigger than your problem? It's on our sign out front. I want Madison to know that. That all the difficulties and and weights that we have and depressions that we go through and discouragements that we have, life is full of them. But God is greater than all of them. And so cast your burden upon him. And maybe it's so that you've never, ever dealt with a sin problem. Deal with it today. It's your first step. You say, well, I've been going to church since I was a little boy. So have I. But that didn't save me. Jesus saved me. Because I came to him and gave him my sin problem. And he gave me the remedy. Because it is a universal curse. And there's a universal cure. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. His shed blood on Calvary. Amen? Amen. Listen to me. If I had to live my life with my demonic uh, depressions and delusions and discouragements, and if I had to deal my life, then why did Jesus come? He came to give us victory. He came that we can live the abundant life. We can cast things unto him. We can be still and know that he is God. Amen? So two things. Cast your burden upon the Lord and be still and know that he is God.
And maybe this morning you need to come to the realization that you've never been saved. If you've never trusted Jesus as yours, never open the door of your heart. I told the people this last week I had the privilege to be able to lead a man to the Lord here not recently and uh, didn't live a real healthy life. Uh, he may be passed on by now. I don't know. He's, he's at the fish hatchery at the hospice, walked up the steps. He lived, by, he lived above a bar. You walk up the steps, it smells like cigarettes. It smells like dirt and liquor mixed together. All the things that went on underneath where he slept at night for all of those years. I don't know how old he is. I think he was 64, somewhere in there. But as I got to the place of of dealing with his soul, I said, have you ever made your peace with God? And you know what he said to me? No one's ever showed me how to do that. His eyes began to tear up, and I was able to take him to the pleasant understanding, like a lawyer would, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I also showed him that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I showed him that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's called the gospel. But this is the great part. I said, whosoever, and I said his name, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you like to do that? And with tears in his eyes, he bowed his head and asked Jesus to forgive him of his sin. Oh, he may have had more sins than you, but he's still cleansed. Now he's got more love than you. That's just the way it is. Shall I tell you something different this morning? Oh, why don't you come to the one that will take your burdens? You think despair is there? Oh, it's there in everybody's heart at times. It's your reaction to it. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to give it to God? Are you going to say, Lord, strengthen me? I was talking to the men this morning. We talked about the principle of really to do that. I went too long this morning. My battery's out. But it's interesting because unless you say, take all of these sins away, I confess them to you, forgive me. You will, carry your, you will carry your sin the rest of your life unless you give it to Jesus. Amen. Give it to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I hope the message made sense. But maybe if you're struggling this morning and you need to come to an old-fashioned altar, it's open for you. Maybe he's been calling you lately. You sensed it. And now you want to give him all. The altar's open for you. Maybe you've never called upon him. You've never been saved, never prayed with anybody to to actually ask God to forgive you and come into your life and save you. Well, you can do that today. Why don't you come? The altar's ready for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.